Tonight we're going to be talking about Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. I think you've had ample amount of time to get there in your Bible. Let me read this as we get rolling into this. Uh, this is Paul. He's talking uh, in, his, in this letter here. Paul's talking to, these, to this church, these people in this region. This is what he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I love this passage of Scripture. Uh, the reason that I love this passage of Scripture is because Paul was a church planner. Yes, we know this, but Paul also was a pastor. Uh, Paul is, and, and, and in this we start to see Paul's pastoral heart, uh, how he, he longs and he loves for his people. Uh, this, is, this is why I, I like this passage of Scripture. So Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses 6 through 7, Paul is basically is telling them, hey, I'm concerned for the way that you're living your life. Believe it or not, that's pretty much where my life is most of the time. I'm going to be really honest with you about one thing. I've told Ryan this. As you grow in ministry, the hardest thing that there is for me in ministry, honestly, is walking alongside of you guys carrying your burdens. A lot of you guys will let me do that uh, because you'll call me, you'll text me, uh, you'll pull me aside and you'll tell me, hey, these are the things that are going on. But others of you don't. Uh, but even when you don't, we see it on social media. Uh, we read about it in the paper. Uh, I mean, big red truck in the room right now, there is a burden that's going on at your school uh, right now. As a matter of fact, they're receiving friends for him tonight. So these are the things, just being totally real, opening up my heart to you, these are, this is the hardest thing in ministry for me. I can get up, I can exegete a text, not saying it's the best. I can teach a lesson. I can go and I can stand on a, on a football field or, or a lacrosse field or a basketball court I can do those things because I love sports. But when we get connected, and some of you guys I've been connected with for six and a half years, I've watched some of you grow from wee little bitty things, and Samuel, you're, you're finally growing to, to like, <laughs> like up in the air. It's, it's awesome. You're going to be like taller than anyone else in the room. You're going to catch Reed Blackman one day, I think. I don't think so either. I, I was just trying to make him feel good, Harrison. But my point is this. Is that I've, I've been around you guys for this so long. So when Paul is connecting with these people's heart, I know what it's like when he's talking about uh, the, the, the living that they want. Basically, this is what he's saying. He wants them to keep Christ at the center of their life. That is such a profound thing. And that is su- such a deep desire of my heart for all of you guys, just to keep Christ at the center of everything that you do. Uh, is, your, is your dating relationship, is it gospel-centered? And I know most of you in the room are sitting here thinking, I don't have a dating relationship. Okay, well, let's talk to everyone. Are your friendships, are they Christ-centered? Are they showing a picture of the gospel? What does your friends look like? Are your friends the type of people that if I would have called you yesterday when I was broke down on 156, if I would have stopped, and I had a flat tire, could I have called you and said, hey, I'm broke down, can you come pick me up? Now, true friends would say, Bro, I'll, I'll be right there. Where are you? So that, is that what your friends look like? Is that what the gospel wants them to look like? Are you willing to serve for someone like that as well too? So that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying keep Christ at the center of your life. Um, he wants that to be everything that there is. And now here's the thing. Life gets hard. A lot of times we, we, we get up in the morning. We're running late. If you're like me, you know, you like to hit snooze a couple of times and it's on your phone. It's, by show of hands, does anyone in here wake up to something other than your iPhone? Holy cow, you guys need to get with the 21st century. 
You know they've got this little thing on there called an alarm clock, and it'll wake you up. How do you guys get up? That just raised your hand. Oh, I, let me let me back up. Okay, not necessarily an iPhone, but your phone. Harrison, you get up with with something other than your. He uses his phone, and I didn't mean an iPhone. Do you guys use your phone to get out of bed? Who does not use their phone as an alarm clock? About the same seventeen thousand people. Okay, so mom yells at you. Yeah, them. How do you get up? Oh, mom yells at you. So, but I know how it is. If, if, it's, it's, if it's like it is at 1509 Turner Road, there's some times to where we all sleep in a little bit. And it's like, hey, we've got to go. We've got like three and a half minutes to get rolling. And then we do. But what does that mean that we do? How do we start our day off when we do that? Behind. How many of you guys try to do your quiet time in the mornings? Yeah. What does that do for your quiet time when you wake up that late? It's like this. You grab your book off the bookcase, and you stand in the corner, and you read your quiet time, and you pray, and you go, hey, but here's the thing. At least you're doing it, because there's some times where when I I wake up that way, it's like, oh, my Lord, I'm late. I've got to go. I've got meetings. But my point is this. We don't start off our day with Christ-centered thinking. So if we don't have Christ in the center of our life, then as we start our day, then we're more prone to make mistakes. Now, I'm not saying that there's a chance that you can lose your salvation, that Christ is not always with you. I just mean when he's not on the forefront of our mind, that leads us to make poor choices, poor decisions, and do, do things differently. And if it is, when we, when we get up, like me, I, I go and I sit on the porch this time of day. Uh, not this time of day, this time of year. I go sit on the porch We'll read, just kind of look at nature. My wife says, I don't really like nature. I've got her fooled. Um, I don't love it. That's the big difference between she and I. I like it. It's pretty cool. Um, but so I'll sit out there and I'll, I'll kind of listen to our neighbors holler and yell and cuss. And, uh, you know, it's a great way to start your morning off. Um, and then I'll just kind of take in nature. It's, it's a time. When I start my day that way, life is so much different from my day. And I, I know that you guys feel the same way. This is what Paul's saying. Hey, we have to get back to Christ-centered thinking. We have to get back to what we have received. Notice he starts the passage off with the word, therefore. Now, you've been around church long enough. You know what these old-timey guys say. If the word, therefore, is in Scripture, what are you supposed to do? Find out what it's there for. Yeah, so, but the, there's truth to that. Why is the word therefore here? Because if you'll flip back in your Bible to about Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, I'm not going to read this, but this is where Paul in his letter starts talking about that Christ is before anything else and he is in all and all is made through him. Basically, he goes through creation all the way through the gospel. In, the, in these first few verses, that's what he's talking about. Then he talks about his ministry to them because what the gospel's done into his life, how it's brought them there. Now, he's saying, all of that stuff you know, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus. Now, what he's doing is he's connecting their life back to something that's happened to them in the, into the past. It says that they have received. Now, what does it mean to receive something? To get, okay. How did, how did they receive the gospel at this point? Now, someone preached it probably. What are some other ways that they did? How was, how was 
information passed along at this time. Because what? By words, by letters. See, we read it in books. A lot of times these people, they would sing. It was in stories. It was in letters that people had, had written, which a lot of them were placed in this thing called the New Testament, and we get to read them. They're all packaged and bound together. It's so awesome. But that's not how it was in this time. So a lot of this information they would receive, their families have passed this stuff down for them for years and years and years. The word received comes from a Greek word that means, uh, the, the Greek word is par- paralambano, which means to receive from another, and it carries with it the idea of receiving a tradition or something that was handed down. It was a tradition that they would do. Now let's talk for a moment about traditions. How many of you guys have traditions in your home? What's, what's the tradition you have? Okay, good. So you don't know what your traditions are. Somebody that knows what your tradition is. Alyssa Brock. Yes. Waffle House and a movie every Christmas Eve. Mr. Coop. Waffle Saturday. Man, that's something we should do at the Egan House. Hint, hint. Uh, Silas. Taco Tuesdays. I'm starting to see a trend here. Anybody have Wacky Wednesday? I'm just joking. Yes, sir. Christmas, you watch the movie Elf. Yes. Polar Express. On Thanksgiving, you take a walk after Thanksgiving, you take a walk after you eat. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So, now here's the thing. How many of you guys, being honest, those traditions are kind of like, okay, I'm getting old. Those things are kind of losing their flavor. Some of you guys are, right? See, wh- why, why is that? Because... When you start a tradition, it's a new, fresh thing, and you're so attached. Let me tell you a tradition that we started in the Egan household. Our very, very, very first Christmas. Now, that's when we had been married all of about a month. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We got married in September. God, I was married, born into it. <laughs> Look, you know what? It doesn't matter. I've bought and paid for this thing many times. No, so we got married in September. So it had been, it'd been just a few months. So, but it's Christmas, about three or four months, all right? So we're in Northern California. We're hand in hand. We're walking through Northern California. We've got our axe in the hand. This is before my wife was a true tree lover. Uh, so we're walking through, and we're finding our Christmas tree. Oh, sweetheart, there it is. Bing! It was all singing and stuff. It was like, cut me down. Uh, so we go over there. I laid the hammer to it, and one swing, Whack! And then 50 swings later, it fell over. Um, and so, and that was our Christmas tradition. We said right then, every Christmas, we will cut down a Christmas tree. That'll be the Egan Christmas tradition. You know how many years that lasted? One. Because uh, we moved out of Northern California right, not too long after that. Uh, but that was our one year. The thing of it is, is that traditions sometimes start to lose their value. When I was growing up, Man, it was tradition that on, at, on Sunday afternoons, we went over to 30-something Winnie Road over here in Green Acres, and we just tore the neighborhood up. Matter of fact, some of your parents uh, lived over there and stuff. They grew up there as well, too. So we just terrorized the whole place. We went to my grandparents' house, all of our family, like 50,000 of us. Uh, we all went over. That was the tradition. But you know what happened? We all started getting older. We all started growing apart, and that tradition stopped. So... When they're talking about that this is passed down through a tradition, just as you have received Christ Jesus, as you've received the tradition of the stories of Christ Jesus, there has to be something so much deeper than just a superficial thing that we're attached to it by just a feeling. 
And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. Yes, that is one side of what it means to receive, but there's something so much deeper than that. It's the time that they have received and surrendered their life to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what he's talking about. He's not, now yes, the stories were passed down, but he's talking about something so much deeper. As you have received Christ Jesus, as you've surrendered to the Lord, as you've been, the church word, baptized with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. We all know what that means. If we don't, we'll talk about it. So as these people have received that, that's what he's talking about. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus. Now, let's talk about Christ Jesus the Lord, exactly what that means. What does Christ mean? Crickets. What does Christ mean? Come on, you've been around church long enough. Somebody just throw it out. It's okay if it's wrong. What? Someone said something. God? Okay, close. The second part of that does. Jesus, yes, what? The second part of that does as well, too. You guys are stuck on Jesus. Huh? Okay. All right, let's look at this. Christ means anointed by God or Messiah. That's what Christ means. So this is what it's talking about. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Christ was used for, for kings and rulers. It's people that God placed his power or his authority upon. Does that, fit, does that fit Jesus, the Christ? Yeah, that's why he's called the Messiah, the, 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 the anointed by God. But also, Jesus is called, well, it's Christ. Who did they receive? Christ. They also received Jesus. Now, what does Jesus mean? Savior. Yes, somebody else said something else. Salvation. Actually, let me get this right. Jesus is the Greek name, you ready? Is the Greek name for the Hebrew name of Joshua. Now, what does Joshua mean? Basically, they took Joshua that was in this language and they translated it into another language. And that's where we get Jesus from. What, is, what does Joshua mean? It means the Lord is our salvation. Yeshua. Jesus. Joshua. You see how Yeshua and Joshua sound so much alike? It's because of the translation. So every time that you say Jesus, you're essentially saying what Acts 4.12 says, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved because you're saying that Jesus is the source of our salvation. So this is exactly what they've received. But there's one other thing that they've received. They've received Christ, they've received Jesus, and they've received the Lord. Now, what does the Lord mean? Come on, Maddie, give it a shot. She's just like, this is not freaking school. What, what does it mean? Because I'm going to call on the person behind you, and they have a really blank look on their face right now. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Well, so he's like, no, I'm just joking. Well, here's, here's what it means. It means, uh, well, hold on. Let me, let me back this up. A lot of Bibles take out a very important word when it comes before Lord. It's three letters. It sounds like the or the. Exactly. Now, it captures, when we have that, it captures the importance of the Lord. Now, there are a lot of chairs in this room, right? But if there was one chair that had the ticket for a million dollars underneath it, and this is the chair, just by putting the in front of the, the word chair, 
and I acknowledge, I acknowledge this chair, what have I done to this chair? I've just placed this chair over the utmost importance to any other chair in this room. Because guys, this is the chair, the very chair that if I had a million dollars would be stuck underneath right now and then I'd be in divorce court because my wife would leave me. But that's what, that, that's what they're saying by that. So what does that mean when it says Christ Jesus Lord? See the difference between Christ Jesus Lord versus Christ Jesus the Lord? At this time in history, there were a lot of lords because there was this thing called nobility and royals around, and they were called Lord so-and-so, Lord this, Lord Farquhar. Okay, I just want to see if you're with me. So, so there was the name Lord was given around. Jesus had to be, had to be set apart. He had to be made the most important thing in the room. So he came with the title of Christ Jesus the Lord. He is set apart. He is above anything else that exists, will exist, or has ever existed. That, that is where we see chapter 1, verse 15. You don't have to flip there. But it says, he, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all of creation. He's the man. That's what he's talking about. So why did he go into this whole thing? Because he's like, look, I want you to maintain Christ-centered living. The way that you do that is you have to look backwards and remember and reflect on the time that you received the preeminent, the firstborn of all creation, Christ Jesus the Lord. See, when the future starts to look bleak for us, we have to stop and look backwards. Because when we look backwards, we see in the past how God has intervened, how God has set us apart, because how when God called our name through Jesus Christ and those of us that have surrendered to that calling, we see that backwards. And I see that how God through his providence has protected me through my life and got me to this point right now. Therefore, I go. I go on the dadgum authority that Christ Jesus the Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. That's how you keep Christ at the center of your life. Now, for those of you that I've told that to, you understand why I've said that. Some of you have came to me and said, hey, I'm just not feeling anything in my life right now. What have I said? Go back to a place in your life where you saw very clearly that God was involved in your life and you could see him and sense him and know that he was there. That's exactly why. It comes right out of Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, when he's saying, hey, to keep Christ at the center of your life, go backwards. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, now since you've seen that, you know that, and you see where you are, what do you do from this point forward? He gives us two things, and I'm losing my voice. He gives us two, uh, two things. It says this. It says, walk in him, and then also as you've received him. As we've received Christ Jesus, we remember that. Now, let's walk in him. Scripture talks about this thing called a walk. When Scripture says your walk, what is it usually talking about? Your relationship. Yeah. Okay, somebody said something. Don't be afraid. I heard you. I think it was Maddie. I won't call her out. Okay, what'd you say? Spiritual, yeah. I mean, if somebody's doing something wrong, and we, we might say this, ah, oh, they're struggling with their walk right now. Their walk with the Lord's not that good. 
You, you've heard that, right? You're, those, are, those are terms that you're familiar with. What are we implying by that? That spiritual things, that their, that their relationship with the Lord is struggling. So a lot of times, it, the walk has to do with our outward appearance of what's going on on the inside. If outwardly all of this stuff is going on, then a lot of times that's what's going on, on the inside. Ryan's connected this for us, and it's been a beautiful thing. He talks about that the way that, that people talk shows the condition of their heart a lot of times. If people are happy, then probably their heart is very happy. If people are in love and they think they've got Mr. or Mrs. wrong, they're like, ooh, boop, boop, you know, and what, what does that mean? That means that they're very happy at that point. Now, when Mr. or Mrs. Wrong breaks up, what happens? I hate that person. Then their heart is tainted. You see what that means? I know that's a trivial thing, but we also, we also see that in our life as well, too. If we get a pay raise, I, I just looked at some of you in the room that have started working very recently. You get a pay raise. What happens? You're like, oh, yes, I got a pay raise. My heart is overflowing with joy. And then you find out next year that they gave you a 5% pay raise this year, and next year they're going to give you a 10% cut. So that means overall you've lost 5% of your money. So what happens then? You see how those things are connected? That's all has to do, that's what he's saying here, with your walk, with your walk. Now, um, let's, let's look at a couple of things when it's talking about your walk, what it looks like. Um, he, this, is, this is where I like what Paul does. He puts some handles on this, something that we can hold on to. What does our walk looks like, look like? And he describes it four ways. To be rooted, to be built up, and to be established, and to be abounding in thanksgiving. That's what he says right here. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. What, what faith? We'll talk about that in a moment. And abounding with thanksgiving. Now, you probably see this thing called rooted on the screen behind me, I hope. That's where we're going for the next few weeks. Everything that we talk about has to do with what you're rooted in. If the hope of Jesus is rooted in your life, if you sit here tonight and you call yourself a Christian, you've got that that's rooted in your life. We want to see it grow. There's an outward thing that takes place. If you go take a seed, you're not really sure what kind of seed it is, but you take this seed and you go dig a hole, you put it in the ground, you put some fertilizer, well, whatever that is, stuff that you do. My wife can help you with that. And then you cover it up and you pour water over it for a while and then you sit out there and you watch it. Eventually, this thing's going to start to grow out of the ground. I'm not really sure what it is, but something's growing. And that's the way a lot of new Christians look. Something's different. I'm not sure what it is. But then it starts to grow and it gets a leaf. <laughs> it's got a leaf. That's where I get excited because that usually stops and dies after that. Um, but I'm like, it's got a leaf. And then all of a sudden it gets to grow and you're like, okay, it's, it's not a plant because it's growing into a tree. All right, this is good. This is good. And then all of a sudden this tree starts to grow these, these round things about this big and they're, and they're green. What kind of tree do we have? Don't be, don't be rushing yet because it could be an apple. It could be a lime. We're not really sure. Probably we know if it's an apple. Don't rush to judgment. Uh, judge not, lest you be judged. No, I'm just joking. That's so out of context. So, but now, it's, it continues growing and growing. And now that little green thing, it's got these dimples. So we know it's not an apple, because that, that is a good point. I forgot about Granny Smith apples, which are the best apples on earth, uh, next to pink ladies. Uh, and then it, then it continues to grow and grow. And this, this green thing gets bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, it starts to turn this orange color. What have we got? We've got an orange tree. That's not a judgmental statement. I'm just simply saying, that's the fruit that this thing is producing. 
Now, that all comes from the hope that's rooted in you. He's talking about being rooted. Rooted means that you're firmly connected with Jesus. We're going to talk about John 15 at some point, and we'll unpack this a lot, where it talks about that if you abide in him and he abides in you, his word, all this stuff, there's this whole relationship that takes place. Apart from the vine, you can do nothing. I mean, you know, you take that, take that nice big orange limb off, you cut it off at the trunk and it falls on the ground. How many more oranges are going to grow off that tree limb? None, not a lot. None, unless it's miraculously grown at the Bradshaw house and they do something awesome to it because Maddie said a lot are going to grow. Bo, you're, you're quite a horticulturist. Um, I don't know what's going on there. But nothing, the moment you cut it off, what does it start doing? It starts to die over time. It takes to the season, it dies. So we're going to talk about that. So that's what he's talking about, rooted. Now, I love this. Rooted is in the perfect tense. And you're like, what the heck does that mean? Let me tell you what it means. In the perfect tense, it means something that happened in the past has present implications in your life right now. There's a beautiful place in Scripture that Paul tells us in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, now I live by faith in the Son of God who lives in me and gave himself for me. Do you see what Paul's talking about? Something that happened in the past. I have present benefits from because of what's happened in the past. That's what he's talking about. To stay rooted in what you have. Uh, and guys, here's the thing. Spiritual maturity is not about coming more independent. Now, that's what your life is going to become. As you guys grow older, you're going to start to become more, more independent from your parents. That's not a bad thing. They've given you the tools. This is what we do. We give you the tools to do this thing called life, and you start to become more independent. But as you become more independent, you know what you start realizing? That you are more dependent on the Word. Spiritual maturity is not about becoming more independent. It is so much more about becoming more dependent. All right, so you're supposed to be rooted. Here's the other thing. It says built up. This has to do with growth. Uh, being built up, it implies that there's a solid foundation, something that is that you can build on. Uh, this connector right here, that's the most recent thing that we've got that's going up around here. Pretty soon we'll have something else. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but before they started putting walls up out here, what did they have to do? What's that concrete stuff for? They had to lay a foundation. And guys, I can tell you this, when they built the new fellowship hall back here, they spent weeks and months of prep, of getting the foundation ready, before they even stuck one piece of steel on it. Why? Because that is the most important thing. That's what we're talking about. There has to be a solid foundation for something to grow on. Now, these two words, rooted and, and, and built up, they're connected. They all imply growth that have to do with progress, now, does something that, if we were to stop building this connector, well, it's almost done. Back here when this building just had steel beams sticking up in the air. If we would have stopped, how pretty would that have been? Not at all. Now, I, don't get me wrong, all those trees that are knocked down over there, I'm excited because grass is going to go there. There's going to be a place where we're going to play and all this stuff, but... Take that aside. Let's stop, not, not, don't be selfish. Let's think logically for a moment. Those trees that are laying over out there that used to have these nice, big, beautiful green leaves on them, now that the roots are sticking up, they're laying on the ground. Are those beautiful trees? 
No, not at all. Guys, this is what he's talking about, that we're supposed to stay rooted and built up. We're supposed to continue to grow. The way that that is not beautiful, the way that this building back here would not be beautiful if it stopped growing, here's the thing. When a Christian stops growing and maturing, it's a tragic thing. There's nothing beautiful about it whatsoever. Paul's talking about that we are to continue to be rooted and built up. We're supposed to continue growing in this life. Remember, it's, it's salvation. That's where we get saved. Then we go through this process of sanctification. That just means that we grow in our relationship with Christ. And we continue growing in our relationship until we die. And then it's called what? Glorification. Because at that moment, we will fully know Jesus. But until now, as Paul says, what we now know in part, one day we'll know in whole. Because there's a process that we go through. What he's talking about is we should never, ever stop growing. How much more beautiful is it for the person that every year grows and matures in their faith? Established is the other thing that we can hold on to, that we should walk What are we established? It says we're established in the faith. What faith? The faith that we just started talking about in chapter 1, verse 15, that Christ is the preeminent. He's before all. He's in all. That's the faith, the faith of our Christian doctrine that we grow on and that we know on. That's what he's talking about. And then the last thing is this, that we are to abound in thanksgiving. Now, here's the cool thing. I want you to see this. The first three all three of these are passive. In other words, these are things that God does to us. Except for the fourth one. This is the active thing to where we are abounding in thanksgiving. What does it mean to abound in something? What does it mean? If you're abounding in money, what is, what's implied? You've got a lot of money. So if you're abounding in thanksgiving, what does that imply? Use your same definition. You've got a lot of thanksgiving. Now, here's the thing. That is something that we actively do and train our life and our mind to begin doing. Why? Because we look and see how I'm rooted in Christ. We see that I'm growing in Christ. We see that I'm established in the faith. Because of all of those things, when I wake up tomorrow morning, you know what my life should be like? When I wake up, God, thank you that I have the sight to see. Thank you that I have a beautiful wife that's laying in the bed next to me. Thank you that normally I have a wonderful daughter that's laying upstairs in her bed. All of that before I get out of bed. Thank you that my phone has scripture on it and I can see the verse of the day and then you know what I get to do? I get to share it with all of you guys. So you're getting scripture some way, somehow, suckers. Um, So (laughs) it's, it's not for you, it's for me. I'm just sharing it. No, but All of that stuff, when I get up out of bed, you know what I can thank God for? Thank you, God, that my Achilles hasn't snapped, that's tight as I'll get out, and I can't get Bo Bradshaw to do anything for it. Uh, Thank you, Bo. Uh, But, you know, so thank you that that we have hot water. I mean, and you, you see where I'm going. I could go on and on and on and on with this, but my point is this. We actively train our mind to be thankful on the small things. Because it's the small things that make the biggest impact on somebody's life. That's what we do. Now, as we put all of these together, let me wrap it up with this. 
How do we understand what, it lo- what walking in him looks like? It means this, that we are dependent. We grow more dependent, not less. It means that we grow, that we grow. I'm going to say that again, that we grow. Not by a show of hands, but just a question for you to re- reflect on internally. How many of you feel like you've stopped growing? And those of you that say me, here's my question. Why? Why? Keep growing. Strength. We need to see troubles of life as opportunities to grow in our faith. Remember, it was almost six years ago, I stood right here. And I said, hey guys, let's pray that God will give us an opportunity to exercise our patience. And those of you that have been with me this long, you know exactly what happened. We had a dog that pooped all over our house that night. So be careful when you ask God to let you exercise parts of your faith. But what did it do when I sat there at 2 o'clock in the morning and I'm about to vomit in my mouth because it stinks to high heaven in our house and I'm exhausted from watching my wife clean up everything? Um, I sit there and I really do, I think, I told my wife, I said, hey, this is my fault because last night I stood on the front of our stage and I said, God, give me an opportunity to exercise my patience. So you know what I did? I said, thank you. And I'll never ask you for that again. So strength, let us see this opportunity. And then gratitude. Gratitude should be the flavor of your life. You should be thankful for everything. Because if you focus on all that you're thankful for, here's, here's the cool thing. You will never, ever realize the things that you miss. Because when you focus on all the things that you have, those superficial things that you feel like you want to have, you don't ever miss them. Because what God gives us is so much greater than anything in the world can give us. All right, now, let's wrap this up. This is what we're talking about when it comes to letting Jesus be the core and the center of your life. Because guys, if you get this, I mean, if you truly, truly get this, it will completely turn your life upside down.